0: Welcome back. Thanks for coming back for the sermon part. I guess you could have walked out and left, but here you are. Maybe by choice, maybe not. Uh, Let me invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 1. Last week we started a new series through the book of Ruth. And uh, you have not missed much if this is uh, your first time back in a while. Uh, We started Ruth and last week we went through verses one through five, and today we'll cover chapter one, verses six through 18. If you're new to the Bible, there are five books that start called "The Pentateuch." That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And after those first five books uh, are three books: Joshua Judges Ruth." And we're in the little book of Ruth, the eighth book of the Bible. So I'll invite you to turn there with me. If you're not familiar with Ruth, it's a wonderful story about 3000 years old. The events that took place, uh, took place about 3,200 years ago. But the the literature, the book of Ruth itself is a a wonderfully compact, uh, beautiful love story. One of the most uh, precious love stories there are in scripture. And it could be uh, um, outlined. If you were looking for an outline, it could be done in in eight scenes, eight distinct scenes. Eighty-five percent of the book is is narrative, dialogue, conversation. It lends itself to a reenactment, if you will. Uh, the first part is a sojourn, and then there's the return, the arrival, the field, the ma- the meal, the threshing floor, the city gate, and the sun. It's just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful passage, wonderful book. Last week, we learned that Elimelech, the husband, has led his wife, Naomi, uh, and their two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion, away from God's people and away from the promised land into Moab, which was a foreign country about 50 miles away from where they lived in Bethlehem and in Moab where they were not permitted to dwell, they were not permitted to intermarry. uh, Elimelech has gone and led his family into this situation and uh, he loses his life. We don't know how Elimelech loses his life. Malon loses his life and Kilion loses his wife. And so uh, Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws, no grandchildren no sons and no husband. And that's where we pick up in Ruth 1, verses 6 through 18. So let's read that together. In Ruth 1, uh, 6 through 18. Scripture says Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters in law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go, return you to her mother's house, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more." This passage, if you were to give the title to this scene in Ruth, it would be called The Return. Return is used 12 times in this passage in some form or another. And what it's describing is when Naomi hits the end of herself, she has a choice to make. Her husband has died, her two sons have died, she doesn't have any children, she doesn't have any grandchildren. And she has a choice to make. And the choice is I can stay in Moab forever and die here and live here, or I can swallow my pride and hit the end of myself and I can return back to my own home, turn to the Lord, I can return to my own people, and I can return to the promised land. She had that choice. Recently, I saw a meme where uh, one person was honking at another person and the person in front who didn't go at the green light said, now we both have to die here because I'm not going to go because you honked at me. Just because you honk, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay here. Saw another one of a billboard uh, down a highway that said this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness, uh, refusing to go to their doctor to get a test and somebody spray painted underneath there. No, we won't. Right. Describing the husband's stubbornness to even acknowledge the truth on the sign. Many of us come to this place in life where uh, our pride becomes the final obstacle. I won't go forward. I won't return. I won't mend that relationship. I won't um, repent. I won't do something that I'm supposed to do. And pride is what keeps you in that position. Ruth is up against that right now. In her pride, she could say, I'm not going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm not going to go back to my cousins and my family and to my people and to my God. I'm not going to admit that I was wrong. I'm just going to ride this out. But for Naomi, the cost has been so great. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's lost everything in this sinful sojourn into the land of Moab. It started out. Scripture tells us as a sojourn, it just means a road trip, a short journey. But then the next verse, Ruth one or two, says that they settled there. So what started as a sojourn turned into a settling. And then in the uh, in the in the end, in verse three, verse four, it describes that they were there for ten years, which just shows you that sometimes we think, well, we'll just sort of dabble in a sin. But you've heard the familiar phrase that sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll take you places where you never wanted to go. And it'll, it'll cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. And that's what, that's what Ruth uh, Naomi is experiencing. She is, she's, everything is gone. She has nothing left but her pride. And her pride would say, just stay here in Moab. Just end your life here and live your days out. But, but something changes within her and she says let's go back i'm going to go back look at verse 6 what changed it says she rose with her daughter's in law to return from the country of moab for she had heard she had heard something something caught her attention That may not mean much to you and I. When I got in my car this morning, I started it and the radio was on from the night before. Uh, There was sports radio on. And so on my way to work this morning, I, I listened to sports radio. When I got in my office, I opened my iPad and I started to review my notes and checked a couple of emails and did a couple of things. And, and there's news scrolling. And, and when I get home later on today, the TV's going to be on. And, and I have 24 hour a day access if I want it to all the news and information, not just of our local community, but, but of our state and of our nation, of our world. There's probably not a place that uh, we can go that we're not able to hear news of the world. But that's not how things were uh, for, for Naomi. She heard in the field of Moab. There was no radio. There was no broadcast news from Jerusalem or from Bethlehem. There were, she's not royalty. There weren't royal messengers that were on horseback or on foot that were running news back and forth. There was no newspaper. There was no email. There was no telegram. There was no radio, TV. There was nothing. How did, how did Naomi hear? Naomi heard through some sort of way, but, but the ultimate source of the news was that the sovereign God enabled a report to go out that reached Naomi's ears. God can get the right message to the right person at any time and in any way that he sovereignly chooses. He can speak to you no matter where you are, in the earth, because the Word of God says that, uh, that in Romans 1, God has made Himself known. But men in their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We have access. We have an understanding that, that we can hear from God at any time and in any place that His Word can reach us. Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11 says, For just like the rain and the snow goes out from heaven and doesn't return, but waters the earth and it gives forth seed and bread, so also shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That means that when God speaks, his word has power to accomplish a purpose. You're listening to the word of God today as we read scripture and the word of God is going out and it is accomplishing something, whether you realize it or not. It has power. It is moving. It's doing something. I remember as a third grader, not a Christian kid, not in a church family, a friend invited me to uh, this revival and, and I went and, and I don't even remember what the guy was talking about, but there was a guy on stage doing what I'm doing. And at the end of his message, I felt like God spoke to me in some way that my heart was drawn to him. I wanted to respond I wanted to follow up. I wanted to know more, but it was evidence that God can speak a word and his word will reach and accomplish everything that he purposes it. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. And Naomi in the fields of Moab heard something. The word reached her and she heard it. What did she hear? Look back at verse six. She heard two separate things. What did she hear? What do you read there? She heard number one, that the Lord had visited his people. And number two, she heard that God had given them food. They were under a famine. We learned that in verse one, but she heard these two separate things. The Lord visited his people and the Lord provided. Those two things can get blurred together, but they're not. Food was provided in Moab, but it doesn't say anything about the Lord visiting his people. But something unique happens here in the land of promise where the presence of God was situated in the Ark of the Covenant. God's presence was known. It was felt. The word that came to Naomi was that God showed up is language that we might use. Have you ever um, heard from someone who went to a worship service or a revival service or an awakening service or some kind of service, and they can only say God did something extraordinary? That God showed up, that he, he showed up in a special way, in a unique way that spoke to me, that ministered to me, that met me where I was. There are so many times when after I preach, someone will say to me, Gibson, that's exactly exactly what I needed to hear. God spoke through you in in some way, and somebody else can say the same thing. And and that's not in any way uh, credit that I receive. That's only in a way that God can uniquely minister to you through his word, through his Holy Spirit in a situation like this, where you just say, God showed up in some different or unique way. That's the language that is described here. It's also a part of the covenant promise in Deuteronomy that that if you will humble yourself and if you'll repent and if you'll return to me, then I will visit you. I will provide for you. I will do these things for you. And God's presence shows up in all these places and all these ways in the Old Testament. He visits Abraham in Genesis 15. He visits him again in another um, covenant in Genesis 17. Before he um, destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, he visits with God and the angel of the Lord before Joshua in the conquest of the, the land of Canaan before um, Moses when he goes to rescue the people from Egypt. God is showing up. His presence is there. He makes himself known and he, he convicts with his presence and he comforts with his presence and he reveals himself and he reveals who we are in light of who he is. Think of Isaiah 6 when uh, Isaiah is transported to the throne room of God and, and he sees the, the Lord high and lifted up and he sees him in his holiness. And what is his response? Woe is me. In the light of God's presence, he sees who he is and he says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among an unclean people. When God shows up, all of these things take place. But most importantly, 2 Corinthians 1 describes the comfort that God's presence gives and that we should comfort each other with the comfort that God brings. God's presence often shows up in our affliction. It often shows up most clearly in our affliction when we're most in pain, when we most need him is when we sense his presence most clearly. That's what he did. He visited all these false ways of worship that she was experiencing, but there's never a promise in false worship that their gods visited their people and brought comfort uh, and hope and his presence. So she heard from a foreign land that God was comforting his people and that he was providing food So, verse 7 tells us that she sets out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But somewhere along the way, Naomi looks and sees that Orpah and Ruth, her two daughters-in-law, are are coming with her. And maybe she, I don't know what's in her mind, but maybe she has this this realization that, that she's left Moab And that there's no real hope for her two daughters-in-law. And maybe she's trying to protect them. She says as much, I'm not going to have any more sons not going to have any more kids. Why are you coming with me? There's, there's no hope for you. And, and in those days, in their culture, to be a widow, uh, to be in that position of destitution, that there, there were no children, there were no husbands, there was no one to, to provide for them, that this was um, likely a grim situation for them. And so she urges them. Listen to what she says. Um, she says to her daughters-in-law, return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Now, now stop here. Listen to the way in which Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, their bond and their love for each other. It may not be true for every situation, but it seems like in our culture and in our time that when a man marries a woman, uh, the woman maintains a close connection to her own mother. And the son often experiences a bit of a different relationship with his own mother and family and has a closer relationship maybe with his mother-in-law or a different relationship with his mother-in-law while the wife maintains a connection to her own mother. That may just be me in my experience, but it seems like even in jokes, the in-laws, and we hear in-law jokes, and my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or my in-laws are a certain way, but there's even kind of that sort of joking in our own culture. But this is, this is um, it wouldn't have even been foreign to Scripture, but it's, it's foreign to Orpah and to Ruth. They, they're forsaking their own moms. They're leaving their own country. They're leaving, maybe they had brothers and sisters and siblings and and aunts and uncles and uh, their own religious practices. They're leaving all of that and Naomi has to push them off. Go, go back to your mom's house. Um, She says, may the Lord grant you to find your rest and that you can have a husband in your own house. Then she kisses them and, and she's trying to sort of push them back, but they say, no, we will return with you to your people what a love that Naomi has demonstrated and what a demonstration and maybe even an example for us of a mother-in-law who has her daughters-in-law, their best interest at heart. Go back to your own people, go back to your own nation, go back to your own land. It's bitter for me that you should come with me, for me to watch you experience this. Now I can't get into her mind. It's speculation. The Bible doesn't say this, but it's possible It's speculation, but it's possible that on the way back, Naomi is starting to think about the confrontation that's about to happen. I have these two Moabite women on my arm and we're showing up in Bethlehem and scripture in that old covenant, God had forbid them to intermarry. And historically Moab was opposed to Israel. Moab was opposed and Balaam had instructed the Moabites that if you want to corrupt Israel, send your daughters to marry their husbands uh, and to intermarry so that in in that way you can seduce them and compromise with them so that our false ways of worship in Moab can start to be infiltrated and taught to their children to compromise. And that was why it was forbidden for an Israelite to marry a a woman in the land for one of those purposes. Maybe Naomi is thinking about that. I'm speculating. Maybe she's saying it's not good for me to show up in Bethlehem with these, these two Moabite women, and it's not going to go well for me in the return. But no matter what the, the reason is, you can see the great love there is between Naomi and these two Moabite women. But I also want you to notice one more thing before we move on from here. In this section is the first time that God is mentioned in the book of Ruth. We don't hear about him at all in verses 1 through 5. It's only now that Naomi in her brokenness starts to use language of faith. Look at verse 8. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Naomi is pronouncing a prayer and a blessing on these Moabite women. And the word kindly is the same word hesed that we've talked about before in other sermons. It's this wonderful Hebrew word that means God's Hesed, his faithful, steadfast, enduring the love that's filled with compassion and patience and mercy and forgiveness and grace. It's all packed into this one word, Hesed. Naomi knows what she's going back to. Naomi has no fear that God is going to destroy her. She has an accurate understanding of God in her own brokenness. She's returning to God and she's extending that same kindness to Orpah and to Ruth. May the God of my people, may God deal chesedly with you. May he give you and help you to experience steadfast, loyal love. She says in verse 9, may the Lord grant rest to you. She offers a prayer that you'll find a husband, that your life will go well. She is pushing them off with this language of faith. Maybe they have seen something about Naomi and her connection to her God that is... uh, Beautiful, that in some way her understanding and her relationship with God is attractive to them. Orpa turns away, but look what happens to Ruth in verse 15. She clings to her in verse 14, so that Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What happened with Ruth? How is it that Ruth w- was so overwhelmed with this commitment and this statement of conversion? Make no mistake about it. Ruth is demonstrating a conversion. They were not allowed. Moabite women who intermarried with Israelite men were not allowed into the, the congregation of Israel They couldn't go into the temple for sure. They were not allowed into the presence of the Lord or into the congregation, into the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations. Basically, saying there's not a chance that you or the next nine generations of people will have any share in the inheritance based on this sinful union, this compromising union. But Ruth is allowed. Why? Because she has a conversion. She has a conversion experience here. She trades it all. She forsakes everything. This is a statement of total commitment and a total repentance from her former way of life. She's leaving it all. She's leaving her mom. She's leaving her dad's household. It doesn't say that, but we're assuming she's leaving her siblings or her relatives. She's leaving her fields, her possessions, her property. She's leaving everything behind and she makes this complete and total commitment. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. Now why is she making that? What does Naomi have to offer? She's already said that she's too old to get married, so she's advanced in years. She's forfeited her property. Property was handed down from the husband's family to the husband's sons. Her husband's gone. Her sons are gone. There is no hope for Naomi. Why would Ruth attach herself in such a committed, lifelong way? She said, where you die, I'm going to die. You get this picture in, in verse 14 that Ruth clings to her, that she's Naomi's dragging her 50 miles from Moab up and down hills that she's she's just holding her and she's dragging her along the ground Ruth is so committed to her she trades it all and forsakes it all and this is a this is a this is the language of conversion contrast this with mark ten seventeen through thirty one you don 't have to read it uh, turn there, but it 's a familiar passage uh, we 've just walked through Mark, but this is the story of what 's described as the rich young ruler in Mark chapter ten. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the Matthew and the Luke version, he says, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? Willing to do anything to be saved. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he goes through the commandments and the guy says, I've done all these things. I'm already good. I've already done all these things. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mark 10 21 says, he looked at him and he loved him. And he said to him, there's one thing you lack, go and sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Saddened by this statement That man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed by this. And they said to Jesus, and Jesus said to them again, How difficult is it it is to go to heaven? it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter says to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their house or their brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this time and in the life to come. That's the language of faith that mirrors Ruth's statement of commitment. Peter said, We left it all. And Jesus said, You'll be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for that. You will inherit the kingdom of God. Ruth makes such a similar statement that the rich young ruler didn't make. When Jesus challenged him, would you leave everything? He said, yeah, I'll leave everything. Then Jesus said, well, we'll go and sell everything and then come follow me. And then he says, well, I won't leave that. I didn't think he meant that. I'll still hold on to that. And he goes away sad. The guy goes away unredeemed. The point is that you can't be converted. You can't be born again. You can't be a Christ follower if you're not willing to leave it all behind. That's the statement of total abandonment that Jesus requires of his disciples. Of anyone who would follow him, he says, Take up your cross and follow me. And you have that picture here in Ruth. There's nothing for Ruth. There's no hope for Ruth. There's no future for Ruth. She may not even know the language. She's going to go to a foreign country, to a people that she doesn't know, to a God she barely knows through Naomi and the example of Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion. She's leaving everything, but fully abandoning herself for for this conversion experience that she has. It it makes you wonder, uh, where does David get such great faith if... Out of the time of the judges, all we see is the destruction of Israel. Where does David get such great faith? It's not out of the question that David heard stories of his great-grandmother Ruth and her conversion. It's not even out of the question that she bounced baby David on her knee, that he, he had some acknowledgement. David is not far removed from Ruth. Ruth gives everything away in order to follow the Lord. It reminds me of those stories of the settlers who came to America, and after they got their supplies off the ship, they burned the boats in the harbor. They said, we're not going back to England. We're not going back to Spain. We're not going back anywhere. We're staying here, and they burned the ships, and they said, this is where we will live. Ruth Ruth believes, and evidence of that is that she's now part of the lineage of David. Matter of fact, Matthew 1 says that Ruth is, has Jesus' DNA, has Ruth's DNA in it. Ruth believes and becomes part of the household of God. Even Rahab believes the prostitute in, in, in the, uh, the conquest of Canaan. she believes, and Hebrews 11:31 says that by faith, Rahab did not perish with all those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And when the, when the Israelites marched around Jericho, what was the only part of the wall that was standing? It was her apartment. Rahab, the prostitute, her apartment, she believed and she trusted. And she, how, what was the sign for them not to destroy her and her family? It was a scarlet thread hanging out of the room of her apartment. And that's the only thing that was standing. Listen, faith is the only way, the only doorway by which you can have a relationship with God. Ruth demonstrates it. Rahab demonstrates it. Salvation is by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Not by your own works of righteousness so that anyone can boast. If you think that you will stand before God and that you'll boast of the things that you've accomplished outside of faith in Christ alone, your salvation is dependent, your foundation is faulty. Abraham believed, and Genesis 15:6 says that he believed and it was credited to his account as righteousness. Ephesians 2 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not by works, not by good works so that anyone can boast. It's by the grace of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith, sola fide, faith alone. Jesus is not ashamed to point to his great, 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 great grandma Ruth and describe the faith that she demonstrates in this very passage. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Uh, wherever we go, I'm going to go. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. She had no idea that there was a redeemer in Israel, right? Spoiler alert, at the end, here in a few chapters, there's what's called a kinsman redeemer and his name is Boaz, and Ruth is going to be connected to him married to him, and he is going to redeem her. Boaz is a picture of Christ. There's a redeemer and Ruth sells it all, not even knowing that everything's going to be redeemed, that the story has a good ending. It's, I'm not a very good pastor. I shouldn't just tell you, come back in three weeks and you're going to hear the end of this amazing cliffhanger, but the amazing cliffhanger is, Naomi is bouncing a baby of promise on her lap and she's joyful, and there's a baby you a promise because of a redeemer in Israel, but that's all she knows. First though, first she has to swallow her pride and return. First she has to return. And the returning starts way back in the field of Moab. And there's a long way between Moab and Bethlehem, 50 miles, seven to 10 days by foot up and down hills and mountains and valleys. She's got to get back there, but the return is where I want to Uh, end our sermon today, this idea of the return. It's the prayer of every parent who has a wayward child. It's the prayer of every grandmother or grandfather who is praying for you that you might come back to faith. It's the prayer of every parent for their little child that they may walk in faith in Christ and that they may seek you all the days of your life. It's the heartfelt prayer of a mom who's walking around the the crib of her child, Lord, that they would fear you, that they would know you, that they would seek you. John says, I have no greater joy than to know that what? My children are walking in truth. This is where the return starts for the prodigal son. When he's in Luke 15, he's eating the food. He wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating, and he comes to his senses far away from, from the father's land. He says, well, How many of my father's servants are doing so much better than me? I will rise and return. Do you know the, what the greatest thing that keeps you from returning if you're wayward? It's your pride. It's the greatest obstacle. This is. I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. I'm not going to admit that I need a Savior. I think I'm good enough right now as I am to get to heaven. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the cross. I don't need the blood that you talked about earlier. The, the self-righteousness, the independent spirit, that's the heart of pride that keeps you from returning. If you're in Christ, it's the pride that keeps you from reconciling a relationship. If you're in Christ and you're walking in a sinful way, it's that pride that keeps you from repenting and turning the understanding that Naomi was moving toward and the understanding that she was coming from is that life outside of Christ can never satisfy you. You're a kid, you're a teenager, maybe you're a young adult, maybe you're older and maybe you're dabbling or you're thinking about leaving the church. You're thinking about leaving faith. You're thinking about walking out there. Listen, the truth is your soul will shrivel You can gain the whole world and lose your soul and you'll gain nothing. Your soul is in its greatest place of care in Christ alone, not in the things of the world. Isaiah 55, 1 through 9 says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. Even if you have no money, come and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you labor for that which is not bread and spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Right? That's the cry of the prodigal son. He wanted away from his father and so he left seeking life and he found death. And then when he uh, swallowed his pride and came back seeking servanthood, he found life. Isaiah 55, 3 says, incline your ear, come back to me and hear so that your soul may live. I will make with you this everlasting covenant, my Hesed, my steadfast, sure love for the house of David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked person forsake his way and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord so that God may have Hesed on him. He may have compassion on him and return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon all your sins. Isn't that beautiful? Naomi knew this. Naomi had no fear to go back. She knew the Hesed God that she was returning to. She might have even known that there was a kinsman redeemer. She might have even known that it was Boaz. Whether she knew it or not, she knew that there was redemption in Israel. She experienced redemption. The promise for those who return, Joel two twelve through 14 says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, tear your hearts and not your garments and return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over the disaster that he could bring. You may be here right now and you think, "Ah, there's no way I can return. God's so mad at me. He's so angry at all the things that I've done and the ways that I walk. I I just can't, I can't bear his anger. Listen, that's not scripture. That's the enemy who wants to keep you from that. God is compassionate and merciful toward those who are humble in heart and broken over their sins. The truth is though, many people are right here in this room and are still far from God. you can just be right here And, and you can be in Moab current day and be right with God. This, this is not about geography people. Someday, there, this is going to be applicable as some, on some colony on Mars someday, right? In 300 years, you can preach this passage, and you can describe not being far from God geographically, but being far from God in your heart. You can be right here in this room, and your heart is somewhere else. You're not right with the Lord. You're filled with sin. Your, your heart is wayward. You can be right here hearing these words, looking right, looking the part, but your heart is far from God, and right here, You don't have to be in Moab to be far from God, like Ruth was. You can return right here, right now. In the same token, you can be across the world in some mission experience or just living somewhere else in the world, and you can be right with God. It's not about geography. This is about what has your heart. The distance from God is not measured in miles. So where's your heart today? Maybe you're listening and you know that your grandma has been praying for you, your mom's been praying for you, your dad's been praying for you, and you know your heart's far from God. And this is, this is God's word to you coming out for the purpose to say, return, return to me with all your heart. Maybe you know a wayward person and your prayer for them is, Lord, help them to return, help them to come back to you. Oh Lord, pierce their heart with your word and pierce their heart with unconditional love and remind them of your steadfast love. Break their pride. Often I pray for people and encourage parents, if they have to come to the end of themselves, let them go there hard and fast. Let them get to the end of themselves, their pride, let it be shattered. In whatever way you do, hard and fast, and and I hate having to pray that. Would that we would all just be so sensitive to the Lord that we would just reply to Him. Yes, I'll, I'll come back, Lord. No matter where you are today, it's my prayer that you would like Naomi return to the Lord for he is merciful Lord Jesus. We, we praise you for that. We praise you that your heart is lowly and that you are kind and compassionate. And there are many people in this room, maybe even whose pride has said to them, I will not return. I will not experience the grace of God. I will continue to walk in sin. Lord Jesus, would you penetrate their pride? Would you crush their pride? And would you draw them back to yourself? Many others in this room are considering walking away, maybe considering uh, trying to dabble in the world and to experience waywardness and to say, uh, maybe there's life out there. Maybe they've never really experienced true life in you. Maybe they've experienced religion. Maybe they've experienced a to-do list, but they've never really experienced conversion. So they're not really leaving you. They're just leaving some religious system. Would you draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus, and away from anything man-centered? Help them not to pursue that which will not satisfy. Lord Jesus, help us to come to you and to find in you our all in all. Help us to be satisfied in you alone. I pray in Jesus' name that you would use this word for your glory. Amen.